The year is 1985. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we go through all of Marvel from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and alongside Dave, who I recently realized has infected me with a technovirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the comics of 1985. It was a latent techno-organic virus I, I implanted Tech-tech. early in our Silver Age Marvel uh, conversations, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been picking my spots. I've been waiting for now the right moment. Now I just can't get enough of those house beats. Ooh, yeah, love waiting yeah. for that drop. No, I was like, when do Does I that really want to get him into Techno? IDM? I'm not mm-hmm. sure, and uh, it felt like the time. It felt like the time when we can really get into there's, this. So yeah, there's no bigger distance between a genre I really like and a genre who I have like absolute. I'm so totally embarrassed by the name of than intelligent dance music. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing more arrogant sounding than someone asking you what you listen to and answering, "Oh, I like intelligent dance music," right? Oh. Oh, you listen to rock? Oh, not me. I listen to academic rock. I, no, no. I listen to um, polysyllabic, lyrical. Uh, have you heard of the Decemberist? <laughs> I think I heard, I think, I didn't remember I heard this, but Radiohead described as um, like post-apocalyptic math rock or pre- no, pre-apocalyptic math rock. <laughs> They're not math rock, but sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Um, anyway, so... Uh, so yeah, let's define music genres. Like... That's what we do on yeah. <laughs> My Marvelous Genre. And uh, we're going to... Today's uh, today's IDM. So uh, let's get your get your boards of Canada out and Ooh. let's Ooh, rock, baby. Let's slowly dance <laughs> with our arms crossed tight. No, we're going to talk about Marvel Comics today. We have a ton of X-Men comics published mm-hmm. in 1985 to talk about uh, a real good batch actually, of, again, what is a very interesting era of X-Men. If you like My Marvelous Year um, or My Marvelous Genre, please consider uh, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Um, In particular, if you could leave a rating and review on our iTunes page, that would be tremendously helpful. Don't forget, we Mm -hmm. have My Ultimate Year now live, where you can go over to uh, My Ultimate Year. It's available. should be available anywhere you can find your podcast, iTunes, Spotify, etc. If you can leave a review on the new ultimate universe pod we're doing uh that would be especially helpful as well and if you really like the show um send us a note at my marvelous year really anywhere online or uh you can go to patreon.com slash my marvelous year we are listener supported and those funds will go to supporting zach and myself and uh and making this thing fun and continue running and giving us some encouragement uh, oh yeah 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 i mean we've uh yeah community's been great lately i mean it's always been great but i'm always just like so encouraged by the uh, people we have listening. Um, I just rearranged some of the Patreon tiers. So our spreadsheet, access to our master spreadsheet, is a uh, buck a month now. So if you uh, so that is over, that is lower than it used to be. Yes. Yeah, it was big summer sale, big summer savings, baby. At my marvelous year, check mm-hmm. them out at Patreon.com/slash my marvelous year for as low as one dollar a month. You can come away with the spreadsheet of your dreams. That's right. Uh, yeah. So it's the ultimate. 
the whole thing for my marvelous year and my ultimate year. Um, and what else am I thinking of? Nope, that's it. Uh, you want to get into your uh, your personal itineraries are on there as well. You do keep your day to day calendar. My, my phone so number. So people want to know social, your whereabouts and your plans. Yeah. Yes. Which are certainly not true. getting a haircut based on what I'm seeing right now. Oh my god, it absolutely is not going to get a haircut, which is uh, quite a bummer. <laughs> It's, it's very long. It's definitely it's below my collarbone at this point. Yeah. I put it over my shoulder. Yep. Um, yeah. So it's going to be cool when you can tie it around your waist. Stalk me. You have to pay me for the privilege. Oh, I can tie it around my waist? Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, let's talk uh, Marvel Comics. We are first going to talk about Uncanny X-Men number 193 to number 194 and then jump into 198. So, Issue 193 is written by Chris Claremont. We got pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Dan Green. We are in the J.R. Jr. era of penciled Uncanny X-Men. And uh, it's kind of a—we're really bouncing around a bit in terms of, like, what it means to be the X-Men right now. Like, there's a lot of moving parts, and that's what we're going to see today. So we're talking Uncanny, then we're going to talk New Mutants, then we're going to talk New Mutants and Uncanny crossing over. You know, um, it's a really interesting era of just like a heck of a lot is happening. Um, Team members are switching in and out, you know, so we got like rogues on the team now. Um, We got obviously by the time we get to Uncanny X-Men number 200, a big milestone issue that we're going to discuss at the very end of this. There's a huge change in terms of like leadership dynamics for the team. Um, Scott Summers is currently married to Madeline Pryor, who okay, is pregnant right. with his child. Instead of you just going over all this, uh-huh. because an effect of me reading... I'm just sticking to the list at this point. Like, I'm yeah. not extracurricularly reading any of this, uh, like a lot of people in the Slack. So right. an effect of just jumping around You're like this You're doing bare means... minimum. Yes, exactly. Um, that's, that's how I do on this show. Uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> Instead of... Um... So the, the effect of me jumping around from, like, issue to issue along with the list does mean that you have these jarring moments of, like... The oh, there's a new team member. Uh, like, I didn't see who this, you know, like, I never, I didn't see the entry of this team member. I have to catch up a little bit. And it works overall. But I do, I kind of want to ask you to give me, like, quick 30-second rundowns, if that long, of some different characters and things going on that we might have missed. Okay. Okay. So just let's to, let's tackle those just, as we get there, or you want to do them right now? No, let's, let's just go, let's just go through them. Rachel okay. Summers. Finally say her name. It's fully wow. out there and <laughs> revealed. <it>. Yeah. <laughs> um... So my understanding is that she's from the Days of Future Past timeline. You got it. Yep. Correct. Okay. She's the daughter of Scott Summers and Jean Grey, mm-hmm. but in a different from that timeline. timeline. Let's be clear. Okay. Yep. So like a different universe. So that is this the first time we are seeing like instances of the multiverse in Marvel? Besides, like there's the microverse and there's the negative zone, but like there are just other Earths that are just like this one, except different. You know. Kind of so like definitely not in, in Marvel broadly. So like there's a there's a series that actually gets tangentially referenced in Uncanny X-Men number 200, which is uh, Captain Britain by mm-hmm. um, written by Alan Moore with art by Alan Davis, which Chris Claremont wrote for a long time before those two came on yeah, the title. Yeah, yeah, from Marvel UK. And that yeah. establishes Earth 616, that numbering. So that's dealing with the multiverse of Captain Britain's. So the okay. concept is is undoubtedly out there. I mean, we've seen as early as... Roy Thomas era Avengers with Squadron Supreme too, right? So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget it's happened. Um, the idea of multiple Earths. Now, in I, I X-Men, mean, is it, Rachel is, is definitely in, one of the biggest examples, uh, if it, not Is this more like, because we, we've seen those things before. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of the way that, like, there's all these different timelines when it comes to, like, Doom and Kang and 
the pharaoh i can't remember his name ramatut ramatut yeah ramatut um except that like you read those and you're like oh okay but you're not like like they weren't in their mind saying like we're establishing a multiverse they're just like all right we're just gonna throw out this sci-fi you know time travel thing and also like we're not really paying too much attention to the details you know potential future timelines you know so there's easy yeah right other people are gonna take and run with and kind of make concrete okay which is kind of how days of future past functions initially you know if you remember in 141 and 142 it's like this is a future that may come to pass the idea Mm -hmm. of it actually being now a separate multiversal entity that rachel summers inhabited and that continued beyond um beyond uh kitty pride coming back and quote-unquote stopping the events like that world Mm -hmm. continues um that's a little that's kind of news I guess. Yeah. yeah compared yeah, to right. where that story ended. Yeah, because so Rachel comes back and she like, <laughs> I mean, she was mourning the fact that her world and all of her friends are dead, right? Like this yeah. is not like, oh great, I'm back with all my friends. She's like, these are not the people I actually knew. All of them still live their lives and suffered and you know died in my like apocalyptic timeline. Okay. Yeah, Rachel has so, suffered a lot of trauma, and the the big hang up for her, the big trauma that she's constantly addressing in sort of internal monologues is the fact that Mm -hmm. she was turned into a hound in the days of future past timeline meaning she was forced by um ahab to hunt mutants like she was forced to hunt her own kind on behalf of the sentinels and you know human hating regime essentially and this is this is like a deep deep trauma that it's it's the way that like silver age cap would just in the middle of a fight be like just frozen with with fear over bucky and flashbacks like mm-hmm. that rachel's yeah. got that um but over being a hound in this very obviously dystopian timeline that she comes from oh okay so that guy you mentioned doesn't show up till 1990 okay so you just gotta you gotta cool it he showed up in uh, herman melville's moby dick uh yeah. so i, I guess it's fine I, I don't need to bleep to it because it's just a name but uh, <laughs> i'm like i definitely do not remember that name although uh Chris Claremont does throw a lot of details in here. Okay, um, who's Doug Ramsey? I don't think I have a good idea who that guy is. Who's Doug Ramsey? Cipher. Doug Ramsey is mm-hmm. the a new mutant. He is the one of the newest new mutants in terms of where we're at. His thing is he can translate any language. He can speak any language. He can uh, basically, like when Warlock the alien shows up, you know, he's able to communicate with him. That is his mutant power. And Doug Ramsey's challenge with the new mutants early is uh you know he's he's the new mutant who doesn't have a battle ready power right, right. so I that is that weighs on him it's the like house of x dot or uh house of x powers of it 10 whatever whoa that doesn't <laughs> happen till 2019 slow your no roll i'm just back. saying i i do remember slow that your guy. roll oh i read okay. contemporary comics i'm mr zach <laughs> look at no, me i'm ken i'm canceling them all i hate it um <laughs> <laughs> All right, so who else? Who else do I want to get a hold? The Hellions. The Hellions. So we've got Empath Firestar. Good pronunciation, because no. Fi- I've been getting killed on calling that Helions on YouTube over on the he- crafting. You've been calling it Helions. <laughs> I've been. Ca- I called it Helions for like an entire video. Why and, would you do I mean, that? half the comments were uh, nice vid, but it's Helions, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, deservedly. So it's clearly. Helions. I don't know. I I cannot explain why I. I was... mean, even if it was not the Hellfire Club, Hellion is a word. Helion is not. <laughs> how often do you? How often do you go around throwing Hellion in your in your? Anytime daily I vocab? see like you know a little gang of teens that's getting into some mischief I, knocking over trash cans yes little gang get out of, of my teens. dumpster you hellions and when you say little <laughs> gangs of teens you... 
<laughs> You're talking about raccoons, Zach. Those are not teens. <laughs> I mean, they could be in their teenage years, but those are not people. To be very, very clear. <laughs> Just every time I see a raccoon, like, damn gangs taking over my, <laughs> taking over my forest. <laughs> hellions, these little hellion gangs. Uh, yeah, so so good pronunciation. Um, they are they are the new mutants of Emma Frost School. Right. I, I mean, I, think I got that generally, kids. but I just wanted to have you. Yeah. So Emma Frost runs the what is it? The Massachusetts Academy, <laughs> which I think is a really funny, not scary name for like. Oh, yeah. W- when someone uh, talks to uh, one of the Hellions about going back, they're like, you're going back to the Massachusetts Academy. What a scary, vicious place. And it's like some right. real shade on Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, it's, you know, your head, your headmistress is the white, the former white queen, uh, mm-hmm. Emma Frost yeah. here. And yeah, they're they're. So that's that's obviously very pertinent to 193 because uh, the Hellions are very much in this issue. But during New Mutants in the issues that we skipped over, some of them, uh, the mm-hmm. new or has this happened yet? I think so. the new they mutants talk about have battled fought the new yeah. mu- the Hellions. They're yeah. familiar with them, yeah. and they're they're going to keep coming up. So I got Empath's deal just through this. Like you can kind of pick up what he's doing. Um, Would Starfire? you let me say? Let me ask you this then: Is he the best or is he the worst? Oh, he's the worst, right? He I mean, is the worst. You got it. Yeah, uh, oh, so my powers are make girls kiss me without uh, their permission. Uh, what kind of interesting things are we going to do with this? Like, <laughs> Empath is what now gets prescribed to Purple Man, mm-hmm. like way before Purple Man. Like, he is I awful, mean, like, but he's younger, I guess. To be fair, uh, not to be fair, to be uh, harsh, I guess, to Chris Claremont, he loves this trope of the, like, ooh, I have power over people's minds and I use it to make women kiss me without... Um, their full consent like mastermind empath and xavier <laughs> with gabrielle holler like these yeah. are three examples of uh men with telepathic powers well professor advantage. x doesn't make gabrielle holler do that or is he questioning it whether or he... not he's influencing her subconsciously or something I mean, we'll, we'll get to either that. way either way later. it's it's in play yeah. and it's yeah, yeah. Um, no you're right so what is what is roulette's deal i don't know what her powers are roulette that is specific um, I mean, she was there. Uh, it's like Empath, I'm gonna roulette, guess. Firestar. <laughs> I don't know, actually. It's luck. All right. Yeah. I'll look her yeah. Up. I'm gonna guess um, they're luck based, but uh, I'm not super Firestar. familiar with Firestar. Do you know? Do you know where Firestar's uh, origins come from? Okay, so we did miss. <laughs> There's a Firestar miniseries. Yes. I'm um. So Firestar that, yeah. debuts, I believe, in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends on NBC. The, uh, the yes. cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Which is That's true. that brings a. It's before I was born, but it brings a nostalgic joy to my heart because we had a VHS of one of those growing up. Um, in that show, Spider-Man's Amazing Friends are Iceman, Bobby Drake, and Firestar. And uh, she was not in the comics. She was created because they needed a fire-powered lady. <laughs> and uh, so she gets added to Spider-Man's Amazing Friends. She gets brought into the Marvel Universe in the comics, and I want to say a four-issue mini in which uh, she is not a mutant if I'm not mistaken, but she develops a relationship with Emma Frost there. Uh, Calling it toxic would probably be an understatement. Mm -hmm, And at this point in Uncanny, if memory serves here, Empath basically is stringing her along as his uh, controlled, like, girlfriend, basically. So she thinks she loves him, but it's none of it's authentic. We see the ramifications of that. Uh, So Roulette has the mutant power to alter probability, which is like we have Scarlet Witch already. Um, also, Domino called guess, wants her powers if, back seven if you years don't, later. If you don't right? actually know even who this character is, I feel okay spoiling this. She dies off panel in 1991, never to be seen again. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. Harsh. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I think I think that's all I like needed clarification for. I think the rest like I got from context. But okay, all right. So this 19- has been Dave does X Men Wikipedia uh, yeah. through the power of his mind. I mean, if I am lost, I'm sure other people are too. Other people are as too. I just said. Yeah, no, like we're. If you want to leave in your reviews of the show, like our our diction and our our ability to articulate, just kind of being superior to other podcasts, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I, I have no problem I, with that. Yeah, if, if that that sentence I just said was like very Joe Biden esque. I just got a YouTube ad from him, uh-huh, a YouTube same. ad that they put out where in a lot of he those didn't actually finish the like he couldn't get the, <laughs> get the sentence out straight. He said, "Hello, I'm Joe Biden. I'm here to ask you to for a favor." Yeah, and it was like, why didn't you just take that again? Like, right, <laughs> right. It's like, do they know, oh. do you know ads aren't live? <laughs> do you know <laughs> ads aren't live cuts? I've, I'm yeah. unclear. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. So you can say <laughs> either just way. As, vote by my marvelous here just as much production value as a Joe Biden political ad. I, I'll tell you what. If um if uh, Chris Claremont. Mm-hmm. was writing some Joe Biden political ads. Uh, first off, they'd be like 17 minutes long, and I'd probably uh, watch yeah. all 17 minutes. Oh, my God. Oh, so uh, let me just say, broadly, this much Cl- Chris Claremont back to back to back. It's really a lot. Illis- it's the full. It's a lot, full and it made me really... It, it did help me kind of realize some of the uh, issues I have with Chris Claremont, and also kind of made me realize that, like, oh, boy, I think I'm kind of ready to move on, and I know we have, like, six more years before that's Ready to move to on. Yeah, I, um, I, like he I kind of has a. I hear you on that, except he's got some great ideas. I, I guess let me talk broadly before we get into all the specifics. Fine. I think he's got great ideas. I like kind of the broad brush. I think his execution is really lacking, and for me, that matters so much. And I know that does. In, in what regard, people. though? Like what? So where is one, execution lacking? So there's there's two main two main issues for me. Um. It's not One in. It's is, not in Professor X getting dressed up uh, in BDSM gear. No, I'll tell you that. You know, it is that actually is not one of the little problems. Walt Simonson in my like critiques of him, where I'm kind of like, there are plenty of like, this moment is great, and this moment is great, and this moment is great. It, I think a, a that's how stories work, I'm, though. You know. Oh my god. Okay, so before you <laughs> start even defending, let me make my point. All right. All um, right. Okay, so I want to compare it to like a show like Game of Thrones, right? So you take Game of Thrones season one i think structurally that show is pretty bad overall and part of that is that like, <laughs> wait what <laughs> game of thrones i think yeah. you think season one's bad is that the take no 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 i said structurally it is pretty bad in that it does not have episodes it is like here's one story we're going to tell over the whole season and instead of okay. like all right episode one is going to focus on these things and it's going to have this thematic tie together and you know like it flows as one thing you get the feeling watching game of thrones even you know moving into seasons farther on that it's kind of like here's the 10 plot lines and it's just going to be like this episode is like Arya and Tyrion and Dany. oh and here's just one so- scene of John. it doesn't tie into anything else it doesn't even thematically matter but like here let's just check in on John. it's kind of like all these different scenes are on security cameras at the same time and the show is just switching between them and okay. it's kind of like let's just push the boulder along and what I really value in comic books is the idea that like this is not a graphic novel. This is a monthly publication, and mm-hmm. I really appreciate comics that stick with, like, oh, what's this issue about? What's going on in this issue, right? And not this idea of just, like, it almost... It, it's not quite this bad, but it almost feels like arbitrarily you could just line these comics up issue to issue to issue and kind of just cut them arbitrarily where one ends and one begins often. You know, I mean, he does clip And it'd be one long does, story? Like, right, exactly. Yeah. And it does not feel like it has the cadence of, like individual issues and i think that makes it exhausting 
Um, I think that is part of the reason why it feels so dense because I don't think he has a knack for pacing. And uh, and I mean, it's well, not he's just pacing. pacing in- he's pacing the marathon. He's pacing the long run. Yeah. And I. Yeah. So and you you can do that. I hear you can do what that you're saying. Story that I so definitely far go ahead. I mean that, that's we talked about it with like the the forge and storm issue. I like I love the idea of that, right? Like, and I even like the idea of like, okay, we've had the Dark Phoenix saga. I think was a good job juggling these balls and keeping each individual unit feeling like its own little story with a rise yeah. and a fall and you know its own drama in each issue. Um, he's just fallen away from that a little bit, I think. The other thing is he's so I I mean it, to. Uh, to bring in a word we talk about with Brian Michael Bendis, I think like almost everything he do- does would be massively improved with some decompression. So like, there's a page here where Kitty Storm is standing in a window talking about um, Kitty Storm. Kitty Storm, God, Kitty Pride is talking is standing in a window in Paris looking at all these protesters outside. Right? If your if your weather woman was named Kitty Storm, would you ever miss the nightly news? Mm-mm. No way. <laughs> no chance. Um, she's looking at all these protesters, and she's just like, she's upset that these protesters are protesting, and she's like, we've saved so the I, universe. I love this exact moment you're about to describe. I actually think it's yeah, great, I, but go ahead. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. She's like, the X-Men have saved the world, the galaxy, how many times? And they're so ungrateful, blah, blah, blah. And then Rachel Summers is like, in my timeline, you know, I used to know these exact people. They, you know, used to protest and my family was killed in one of these things. So we get that piece of plot information. And then someone else is like, Kitty, look closer. They're not protesting against mutants. They're pro-mutants. And Kitty is like, oh, I guess I can't see them. Their signs are all a blur. Damn it, Kitty. I guess you need glasses like some (laughs) mutant you are. That is all on one page. And it's just this absolute density of information that does not feel like smoothly conveyed it's just so much and he's just packing in so much to every moment some people might appreciate that i really don't i feel I like thought one almost... it was funny the incongruity two oh, it actually yeah. felt believable for kitty to because mm-hmm. again she's very young at this point she's a young teenager for her to take the message of <laughs> of like protesters and riots in rachel's timeline and the and death turn of her parents just like and make that about her and her own her vision. vanity of like i don't want yeah. glasses what will people think no i like that. and to get super this emotional is not a about criticism it that, of pr- like this is not a criticism of almost any of the story there's like some small things i have here and there but overall like again i like what he's doing i like nimrod i like the trial i like the valhalla stuff like i like the ideas of all this stuff it is just the execution where it is so dense. Like, I feel like those Valhalla things, we read two issues, which were like All right, I, I got to stop you there because you say Valhalla really weird. Val, Valhalla. I was going to let you say some of those Game of Thrones characters' names weird and just be like, all right, fine. That's fair enough. But Valhalla, come on. Right? Valhalla. Yeah, no, is it right. Valhalla or Valhalla? Let, let us know. Well, I didn't club. say Valhalla. Valhalla. I heard Valhalla. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I didn't Which say Which sounds Valhalla. fun. I would go there, right? Have a have a I little think uh, those glass and a tiki cup. Valhalla, Vol- Valhalla issues, which are about 100 pages. I think that's about Valvo. Year... <laughs> <Ugh. laughs> <laughs> it's your nasty Thor porn parody. Yeah. Um yeah, I think those could be an entire year of comics and I think they don't benefit from the uh like how compressed that feels i it's just a pacing thing for me it's like a density of information it's just characters constantly bringing up plot and plot and plot and talking they just talk so much (laughs) you know and like (laughs) they are constantly talking about something and it just it's exhausting and it makes it hard for me to get invested in things like we read that first new mutants issue uh 26 and Mm -hmm. i finished it and i was like that took me like 18 minutes to read that issue like i read that in a really long time 
So it, you know, and it's all right. It, yes, it, a modern yes. comic takes six to ten minutes to read. Uh-huh. Twelve if it feels particularly dense. And it was like I liked it. I liked everything that happened in it. But it's just it's exhausting. <laughs> you know, it is. It, it is some. It is some level of effort. It is some level of work. I mean, so to the first point that you're mm-hmm. describing, I think. The value, the one of the appealing things about this era is the fact that it reads like one enormous story with threads yes. that build over long stretches of time. Depending on what you're looking for in a comic, that can be very appealing. I mean, I think the the battle between a long running book that is very continuity heavy and something where it's kind of the one and done flavor um, of standalone stories that that each issue works on its own. That's that's an ongoing battle in a whole lot of different series, you know. So that that like can I can I clarify? I, I don't mean like I want this to be like bottle episodes, and I'm frustrated that it's not. Like that's mm-hmm. that's not what I'm looking for. It is no. it is the idea that like I I think you can do that. Have a long going continuity building, like because he is building his own little world here. It is wildly impressive. Like and th- yeah. that's part of actually when I jumped in these, I'm like asking you to clarify. It's kind of just like, wow, it's, I mean, it's crazy how much stuff he is building up here. Like, he has this wild cast of characters, this enormous cast, and he clearly is juggling them all, and he has this, like, really clear idea for them. It's all really impressive, and I like all the stuff he's building, more or less. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm almost all pro on the stuff that he is, like, building into this world. Like, Nimrod's cool, the way he's built up Juggernaut cool, all these different things. Yeah. It's purely, I, I just, I guess I'm someone who really values that each issue feels like its own story, and that can be, like as part of a larger story, right? And that can build continuity. I mean, I don't want to always compare it to this, but it is my point of comparison with, um, oh my God, I just completely forgot his name. The guy who's doing Don of X. Um, you, you know it. You have to tell me. I have no idea what you're talking about. The, let me, let me, the man who is heading the, the X-Men editor. Is these right issues, now. I think these issues do. Well, no, let me, let me finish about. my point. Cause I didn't, what, what's the guy who's, well, editing? no, let me answer the question here because the, these issues Hickman, address Hickman. singular stories. 193, is a story about uh, the the Hellions and specifically um, Warpath avenging mm-hmm. his brother's death. Like that is the through arc of that double sized issue. One ninety four starts with brings Professor Nimrod X into the no, equation. So one ninety three is one ninety four is more of a like a single issue that does expand the world. Yeah. So uh-huh. I'm just I was saying Hickman like does that like he's building this whole big thing over in his corner and I it is unfair to compare to Hickman because Hickman is like you know whatever he does stuff well i I don't think it is actually i mean hickman is has taken over the x-men franchise in 2019 the first comparison if you're going to say this is an an important run is should be chris claremont i mean that is i I just don't want to always say like you know why isn't this you know living up to the best of the best so i don't you know i I just want to make sure that that's not like well i think that is the standard that is set for this run though those are the expectations people have for claremont x-men is best of the best type marvel stuff so you saying something counter i i think that's actually the the strata that these okay. have to All be right. held in. Um, so I, that, I guess I'm a little befuddled star. by your your overarching point, honestly, because I, I hear what you're saying about wanting to be more standalone. But each is the question that you don't know what we're building to. No, you know, no, no, that no, like it's, not, it's less clear it's where we're that. going because I think that's maybe a fair criticism. No, so I mean, I I like the I think a, a tighter issue would be like Banshee <laughs> not gets double sized. <laughs> well, not For triple sized. Six. Yeah, is this one? No, this one's double-sized, yeah. Um, every time I opened up a new comic to see that it was 42 or 65 pages, I wanted, like, I wanted you to take a railroad spike through my, like, cranium, like, Phineas Gage, just, like, knock these out are, my whole frontal lobe. These please. are I-don't-have-time problems, though. These aren't the comic No, uh, 
little yeah, these bit. are it's these a, are I'm both. tired of reading these comics problems. Like these are this is this is something I've been thinking about a lot, which is it's it's relatively unfair for me to criticize a story as fine if I've read it before <laughs> and I'm not in the mood to read it again. That is a personal problem that I think is part of what what we're doing here. And I try to take a lot of that out of my analysis, honestly, you know, because it's like at the end of the day, you know what I'd rather read than Claremont X-Men I've read again? I'd rather read a new comic that came out in 2020 that I don't know if I'm going to like yet. Just flat out, always, that's the case. Um, So I try to take that mindset out of it when I'm evaluating how good or not good these are because, like, Claremont X-Men... I mean, look at the contemporary sphere of comics. It stands out, right? Look at how we're at 1985 and these comics coming out, and he started in 75, you yeah. know, technically with Giant Size X, right? We're a decade into this. It's still yeah. fresh. It's still lively. It's dense. It's absolutely dense, but anything building for a decade would be. So I, I guess no, I'm... No, I'd, I... Okay, so uh, here, let me... Let me and I, would, I do want to agree. I think it is actually still pretty fresh. I think like the ideas he has in the like world he's building still feels mm-hmm. fresh and he still is introducing new stuff that I'm like, that's cool and I can see why this sticks around forever. Nimrod is cool. Like I'm into Nimrod, I'm into the Them going to Asgard happening. is is honestly really fresh. Yeah. Bringing Art Adams in as a collaborator. Oh my god. Incredible. I love, I love that stuff, yeah. Okay, yeah. so that the issue we're talking about, one ninety three. The main storyline is that Banshee gets kidnapped by Thunderbird, the original Thunderbird's brother, who's now calling himself Thunderbird in order to, like, lure in the X-Men to punish them for, like, what he says, murdering his brother, but really, like, letting his brother die back in, like, uh, right at the beginning of Chris Claremont's run. Right? Or did he? Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> you want to hear uh, You want to hear one of the coolest theories okay, about that now, issue? But yes. About that yes, death? Yes. So um, when, when Thunderbird dies in Uncanny, what is it, 94, 95, mm-hmm. um, he... Uh, Throughout the entire thing, his color, his shoes are colored blue. Okay, mm-hmm. but in the uh, in the last panel, right before his death, mm-hmm. the way it's colored, presumably due to an error in time, is his shoes are red. Okay, Mister mm-hmm. Sinister, in the <gasps> modern era, says something to the effect about "Don't trust anyone wearing red shoes." Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That has been. I think. This, I think I heard this. This is not my theory. This came on. I want to say Jay and Miles explain the X Men. Um, the theory is potentially that he is referring to Thunderbird's red shoes. He's so, he's, win- he's winked at Thunderbird a few times too in his little X gossip things. Yes, which I yeah, yeah. honestly might sound super spoilery, but I can't imagine that even nah, means enough think... to you to make a spoiler if you haven't read that far. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, yeah. No, those those are fun. I, I actually I have a lot of fondness for that kind of like this was a you know an error in printing or a continuity mistake that we made back when, and then someone later is just like, what if I what if I take it and like either wink at it or fold it in in a fun way? I like that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's, that mm-hmm. makes me fun. Okay, so here I, I guess let me give the example of my point. One ninety three, Banshee is kidnapped. The X Men go to the NORAD miss- missile command center where they first like fought uh, whatever his name is Count Nefero. Nefaria? Nefaria. Oh, oh, oh. And and then Thunderbird died. You'll never escape me, X-Men. Oh, 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 oh. Mm -hmm. That guy? Mm -hmm. I don't know why you love uh, the Count from Sesame Street so much. It's one of your most like... It's obviously one of my best accents. Everyone. Yeah, you you fall back to that one a lot. The X-Men go to rescue him. Fight, fight, fight. The 
the Thunderbirds there with a couple of the Hellions who he's like teamed up with empath through. Well, he is a Hellion. Let's also point that out. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah. I think all that's good. I think the fight is good. I think the um the stuff about him like coming to terms with his brother's death is fine. I don't know. I mean, it's not great, but it's I mean, he basically has Charles Xavier pinned and he's about to stab him to death and he's just like, "No, wait. I probably shouldn't do this. Never mind." <laughs> <laughs> like the resolution is that he just. I mean, it's a it's that, a little like, more emotionally wrought than that, but yes. Oh yeah, gets, no, uh, but like the he gets his like, brother's murderer in position, and then he decides he and does then not he want realizes to he murder. doesn't want to. Yeah. yeah, all that's fine. That itself is kind of what I'd be talking about. Where it's like this would be one issue. This issue starts out with Professor Xavier. He is kidnapped by Callisto of the um, what are they called? The uh, Deviants? No, no, that's else. <laughs> how dare you? The Morlocks. What are they called? Morlocks. Yep. Uh, in in some like great BDM, BDMS BDSM gear, I love that, and I love his embarrassment of showing back up at the X Mansion in that stuff, and everybody's like all time, all <laughs> time panels right there is Professor yeah, X really... in these black leather straps. Love it, it's really good. That's going on right, and he like he's been gravely wounded, um, and he's learning that, and the Morlocks healed him, but he's still like quite fragile. Storm is on like a cruise. Yeah, ship Healer like to... busted his powers to bring Professor X back. Like he got, yeah, what is he? Exactly. He gets mugged. Um, so Professor X is having this this moment of having been mugged and dealing with sort of this like feeling human, feeling not like the the god among men that can. How could he get, you know, with his all his abilities get taken out by muggers? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> oh, I thought you were, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> where where are you so, going with this? Yeah. So so, so this, Stor- Storm this all happens with the Moloch. We get all these like things of Storm going on a cruise ship. Right, and she's like having visions of her family. I think her powers are missing. Um, uh-huh. The X Men are training with like in a Dyson sphere that was part of like a New Mutants issue with some woman Lila Cheney and some other New Mutants thing <laughs> that happened. <laughs> so she's Dick Cheney's daughter. <laughs> some um, woman, Lila Cheney's awesome. She is a uh, punk rock star from space. The plot. A lot of it just feels like Claremont wanting to be like, here, I have literally eighteen threads. Six of them have to do with the main story, and the other twelve are kind of just like chugging along at the same time. These and it criticisms feels distracting, and it feels uh, like unfocused. I guess unfocused is a really good word for it. You know, and like I kind of get it. Some people might read this and have no problem with that. And like that is that I is just, definitely the nature of long running like, ongoing comics. I it, yeah, it, uh, and I think it I is. It's definitely an appealing thing with Claremont's X Men in particular because it keeps the threads moving. Again, if you're reading these. First off, if you're reading them all at once, it's a little easier to keep those threads together. Like you said, mm-hmm. if some of these details you read in 1978 and then it comes up again in 1985, right? Mm-hmm. Like it helps to have a little more exposition around that and to have a little more regular reminders. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that is that is the soap operatic structure of X-Men that becomes one of the absolute, you know, essential components of the franchise is that they're moving. I mean, yeah, this is definitely something that you criticized in Simmons and Thor too, where it's it's bouncing between stories. That's just comics. Um, no, I mean, there that's, are that's ver- there are stories I mean, where they don't do that, but when you have a lot of moving parts and you're working a long game, uh, you kind of need that. I mean, think how that. many comics... No, I, I don't agree with that at all. Like, how many big, complicated, world-building comics are there? Like, Sandman, or like, Chew, or like... Sandman! <laughs> Sandman's or all over the place. By its very issue nature. Issue to issue, not... In not in each issue, each issue feels like like the the thing is you can look back at Sandman and say like man remember that issue, remember what happens in that issue and like even in long you know here's six issues that is are one arc 
clearly this is one story told over six issues. Yeah. It still feels like each issue is its kind of own self-contained little story. Whereas like I mean, Claremont, you can still do that here. Okay, There's a Nimrod I mean, issue. Me, There's a Warpath I mean, issue. Yeah. There's a Magneto like, trial the, issue. Tell me the issue where Storm goes to Africa and like beats up some, you know, like white safari guys. It's Uncanny X-Men number 198. But like well, these are subplots. We literally just read it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I'm just saying I think it would be better served for that just to be like, that's Storm's issue. And we're going to follow Storm on her path. And it has an arc to it. It has a narrative arc. I mean, it. I do think those are think these. this approach to shared universe superhero comics will fade out of favor in in like more recent years i yeah. you know i'm i mean going i think off for good reason here, but i don't think that happens the... as often because they're not graphic novels like this is not a graphic novel it's not 300 pages long like it's not a novel it is it's but not... it is though it's like it's 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 seven thousand pages long except that it's not like i i think that is devaluing what like a monthly monthly storytelling can do we're not we're not right? reading like, these monthly though and well, i don't think they're not, really like, written like that Except that this is how you would read them. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, like, I really, like, I think this about TV a lot, too. Prestige TV. Like, I'm very bored by the kind of TV that is just, like, this is really a 12-hour movie, and it's kind of arbitrarily chopped up into 12 hours instead mm-hmm. of, like, this is 12 distinct episodes that each have their own, like, feel to it, right? I think that's something I, that I really like things lost. that take a distinct flavor on a, on a per-episode or a per-issue basis. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't expect it from... I mean that is a that is an artistic choice that becomes pretty clearly apparent in in whatever the the medium is, right? So like even that's John just Byrne not is how doing that too. Like John Byrne's like, doing that with Fantastic Four. A little like, bit, a little yeah, bit, but less so that. over time. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I again, if this doesn't bother you, it doesn't bother you. You know, this is just something about comic books where it feels like almost ignoring the medium, right? And not leaning into what makes this medium special and uh yeah, I think I it's think I think it's so ingrained in the medium though. Is you like this is this goes back to Silver Age Stan and Jack stories. You bounce to these segues that are building things that are going to be in the stories later because you don't have an unlimited amount of space. So you weave in, okay, I got a page here to remind everybody what Storm's deal is cuz this is going to come up in four issues. Um that that stuff becomes kind of essential to keep track of all the moving parts, especially in something like Claremont's where there are so many moving parts. It's incredibly dense. Um, so keeping track of all that is is a challenge, and you have to you have to address can, it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think you could, there's ways you can do that by just jumping around, right? Like, I mean, Hickman's X Men is doing that, where it's just like, oh, we're not going to see these characters for three or four issues, and then this issue is about them, right? Like, let's catch up with Emma I, Frost and Jean Grey, and this is the issue that like focuses on them, and they're part about this. This is the issue I like that, Hickman's like, X Men, obviously, yeah. quite a bit. There's only ten issues. <laughs> and one of the biggest criticisms, and I had this early too, is that it's not focused enough on on so many things. If you take yeah, an issue I, yeah, to focus on one on that, weird yeah. element and, and hone those, in, don't talk about anything ladies. else, yeah. you're ignoring everything else. <laughs> yes, I'm thinking about horror culture specifically. Yeah. Um, yes, I know. You you're ignoring everything else like... that people really care about. Claremont does not do that, right? He does not, with, with exceptions, with... Life, Death, Storm, and Forge with Uncanny X-Men and 198, Life, Death 2, rarely, and then those instances stand out. So to me, that is like, okay, this is the Breaking Bad Fly episode, right? Those, I think integrating mm-hmm. those yeah. into a larger narrative is effective. I don't anticipate or expect that every issue is going to take that approach because now every issue is less special. I think if, if 193 is just the Hellions attacking and, and 
Jimmy Proudstar's plan to avenge his brother, I actually think mm-hmm. that's pretty boring. I think it loses something by not having the weird asides with Professor X in bondage gear in the Morlocks. Uh, I mean, you sewers. can you can weave in B and even C stories into that. I just I think I would like them to cohere a little bit more and not feel so just arbitrary. They cohere like... to the big tapestry, though. They yeah, cohere yeah. to where I... this this story is going. Professor X was mugged in a previous issue, so this is how mm-hmm. we address following up on that, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't connect them. It, well, I guess it kind of connects thematically with um, with Jimmy Proudstar's quest for vengeance because it tells us why <laughs> Professor X is there, why he's weakened, and, and it why inverts in Professor X's previous bondage that he placed on his all-new X-Men and now places <laughs> the bondage upon his himself and his little white body. It's <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> pretty good no i i hear what you're saying and you know like i i don't want to not give claremont the credit because i think what he is doing is like special and unique and praiseworthy of building this enormous tapestry so like i think that that is really fresh and he's doing something that i don't know if anyone else has matched you know like up to this point really like having this breadth i don't of, i don't uh, think it's really a contest of, of yeah of like building his own little universe out of this established stuff so um, yeah, you know, I think I think that's just uh, something we differ on. All right, let's let's talk about the plot because uh, yeah, the Proud Star stuff I think we covered overall. Um, Nimrod, I really like Nimrod is sent from Rachel Summers timeline, mm-hmm. right? Oh wait, you know what I should have done. Yeah, well I think your opinion's stupid. Speaking of Nimrods, this robot is, is pretty good. Um, I uh, I love that uh, the the joke about Nimrod in. Uh, Bugs Bunny. That's such a funny joke. Him calling uh, Elmer Fudd Nimrod sarcastically. You know what Nimrod means? Are you asking me? Or is this yeah. part of the joke? No, I'm asking you. Because it, it, Bugs Bunny always calls Elmer Fudd Nimrod. It's because I think it's Aramaic for, uh, it's like a biblical name that means great hunter. So when he calls uh, oh, Fudd a, yeah, a yeah. Nimrod, he's being it sarcastically. But it is cool yes. in this context of like this, you know, nonstop, this, this, you know, he's basically the Terminator before the Terminator. I don't know what year that movie came out. There's a there's a high school in northern Wisconsin, uh, northern woods. Their mascots, the Nimrods, which is funny now, but you know, still kind of has an element of. I mean, I think I wish they'd adopt the Nimrod as their logo. Tur- That'd be turned awesome. that into an insult. I think that was not a particular insult until Bugs Bunny did. Um, mm, nice Terminator job, came out in 1984, which means that this feels very derivative now, <laughs> in my eyes. A time traveling non yeah. like a unrelenting robot who travels through time to hunt down. Uh, Hunt down the escapee. Yeah, Nimrod's quite Terminatory. Um, I did he's not, a I did not he's a very together. nasty yeah. pink robot. He's the ultimate Sentinel, you know, from the cool, future though. past timeline. Uh, he can basically he is sent to exterminate mutants in all their forms, and he can adapt to pretty much any power. He's got like a database of what all their powers are. In this mm-hmm. issue in particular, we see him. It, it's a really fun Juggernaut issue where, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so it's called Juggernaut's back in town, and we just see Jugs just walking through town, getting whatever he wants, holding and up like banks, the co- just the cops being a are mess. All, <laughs> I love the cops are all like in a in a flurry, like running around trying to like deal with Juggernaut, and Juggernaut's just in his street clothes, like walking up to a cop, and he's just like, yeah. "Hey, what's all the hubbub about?" And he's like, "Oh, you better get out of here, Mister Juggernaut's on the loose." And Juggernaut yeah. just has the biggest like eating grin on his face. <laughs> That's really good. Um, it's pretty good the, stuff. Uh, but Nimrod uh, whoops the heck out of Juggernaut, right? To sort yeah, of show yeah. show us exactly how powerful Nimrod is. Um, there's a there's a thread here that you don't need to follow super closely unless you're really invested in this era of X Men, uh, which actually you should be. Um, is Nimrod is like so he transports from this timeline and then he finds himself in uh, the home of I think some Hispanic people in the city, um, but he can <laughs> also really... like make himself look. Om, like 
almost not, almost human. Like he's yeah, still very really. clearly not human. You know, he looks like a a nineteen nineties like Disney animatronic of a human, right? Like very I, much like oh, the seams are still really clear. Yeah. You are kind of angular. He's clearly like a robot. But I love this the conversation because Chris Claremont cuts to this conversation between I think two brothers, these two Hispanic brothers who are like arguing about mutants, right? And one of them is just like. I don't know how you can believe that about mutants. Like, what if your nephew turned out to be a mutant? What if I was a mutant? He's like, oh, I, I know you're not a mutant. He's like, you don't know that. Like, you need to treat, you know, treat them better. You know, not judge the entire mutant kind on <laughs> one example, right? Like, yeah. don't prejudge the whole bunch of them, right? Just driving home the analogy for racism. Um, And then the, the anti-mutant brother is just like, yeah, well, I don't trust that guest that you have. <laughs> living he's in your kid's bedroom right now uh-huh. and the guy who's like defending mutants is like there you go judging people by their looks again and then it cuts to like a literal weird pink angular robot sitting in a child's bedroom like on his computer. typing it's out like, the no, people it's... he's gonna exterminate on his computer yeah no it's probably okay to be like a little wary of that guy <laughs> yeah yeah take him out of your kid's room i'd be fine yeah, with that's, that that's really funny um nimrod also has an upside down pink triangle on his chest which is a big sign at the time do you know you know the history of this uh is the pink triangle um like uh like queer symbol yeah, like well, queer code yeah well it was like you know the it was the nazi symbol the upside down pink triangle was the like nazi sign that to slap on like homosexuals like for you know oh when they I were didn't know that. the labeling like right yeah and then like gay advocates in the 70s kind of reclaimed it right to take it as a sign of like gay pride and that the pink okay. triangle became that um and it's on Nimrod's chest, and it just feels like that symbol was around a lot. Like even when I was a kid, I knew like pink triangle. Ooh, that that means that's gay. a that and that's a weird a, thing a weird to associate detail. with Nimrod, the, yeah, the yeah. person or the entity in the story who is hunting the feared and hated group. I I don't yeah, I have no idea. No, what connections you would make there that would make or... sense of that? Yeah, I, yeah, aside yeah. from just it's probably a design decision that yeah I I would guess so because I don't aware see any other yeah. Any connection to that? Did you see the the thing where Trump just put out the red triangle thing? I, I is that the same? Is that the it's same the issue? Si- it's is from it the, the same, same symbol. Yeah, it's the same exact thing. Yeah, it's the same. Like, here's a bunch of designations for like political enemies and how to sort them. And like, red triangles is like oh. for uh for like socialists, communists. I think Romani people. Yeah. Pink triangles were for homosexuals. It was like how to sort, you know, the political enemies. Um, yeah, I feel like maybe like try to avoid Nazi iconography. In, uh, yeah. in your I mean, dress. just a who, just a who amongst us hasn't accidentally put out you know a multi-million dollar ad campaign with Nazi imagery? I think you're being a little harsh here. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Facebook you know. should put those ads back up. Hashtag um, activate Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Nimrod's cool. I like I like Nimrod um, in here. I don't know. He uh, his design is cool, and I kind of liked his whole vibe. What I, I do like too that he is immensely threatening. You know, in this in yeah. this early appearance, again, he whoops the stuffing out of Juggernaut. Almost impossible to do. He's beating the stuffing out of the X Men because he knows all their strengths and weaknesses. Until Rogue absorbs the whole team's powers and becomes uh, a Nightcrawler Rogue Everyone Hybrid, which is a pretty fun idea and a pretty fun kind of like you know use of her abilities. And then she's able to defeat Nimrod, albeit uh, temporarily, because Nimrod is never truly gone. Yeah, he's pretty cool. That's all I have to say. He's pretty cool. Cool guy. <laughs> pretty cool, cool guy. guy. I like him. So, I consider uh, him a friend. Yeah. We we skip a couple issues ahead here um, in our, our read, and then we go to 198, which is yeah, I included basically here. because we read, I think it's 190, 
184 is the Chris Claremont and Barry Windsor Smith original life death, that Storm and Forge issue. This is Life Death 2. Uh, I don't like Life Death 2 nearly as much as Wait, as the original. One? I know you're a huge Storm fan, Zach. How how yeah. did this issue suit you? No, what is this issue? I don't remember it. Well, you know, I actually preferred 198. Um, I actually preferred no, the I, moment. I literally. In... Oh, I didn't read this. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're going to have to. Good. I, I'm Good. looking it up I'm now. glad you didn't because okay. you probably would have had mean things to say. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I I don't love this issue as much. I actually like Storm's role in, I think it's 194 more, where uh, we meet the Fenris twins for the first time. They are the yeah. son and daughter twins of Baron Von Strucker. They are the worst um, I would say worse. Yeah, they're worse than Empath, which is a low, low bar to sink beneath. Um, but they, they're like harassing a woman in Africa, which is where Storm is now. And oh, is Storm defends them? her and oh. then beats them up. That's the same That's the same people? I didn't get that. Because oh, they show up in X-Men 200. I didn't get that that was the, the same uh, couple siblings. You know, you raise an, an interesting point here, which is that, you know, I'm curating selections from the Claremont era. But if you're not... Yeah really committed to playing along there's a lot here that's gonna like whiz into or over your head um it's just kind of inevitable like this is a dense run uh it is a dense read and things that get referenced like if you kind of know x-men a little i think you'll be fine reading the curated selections but if you don't uh it's a lot of stuff that might feel like wait what's this you know which is kind of i've read the I feel like, because I, like, I read the Morlock issues, so I have an idea who the Morlocks are, but if you didn't, you're just kind of like, oh, uh, Xavier woke up in the sewer with this woman all dressed in black, and uh, and Storm is their leader or something? Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, that's no, a, again, that's like the, the assumption and the expectation is you're reading as much of this as you like to, and I, I do think it's kind of all better when you do. Um, so anyway, 198's the, the follow-up from Claremont Windsor-Smith to life death uh it's storm addressing her lack of powers it's way more hopeful than you know the depressed storm that we Mm -hmm. saw after losing her powers in life death number one um this one takes forge out of the equation except you know it's really just storm like kind of having this this walkabout and moment of i don't know self self actualization self uh, realization as she kind of walks through the desert and um i won't really go into no, too many of the details other than to say like if you're a huge storm fan this is essential uh again barry windsor smith's art is incredible but i definitely prefer yeah. first life death i think this one's i love i love his art. um yeah it's it's worth reading if you're a huge storm fan yeah, like, i'll, I'll go back and pick this up i just moments. i missed it on the list yeah. um yeah that was just an accident on my part okay yeah i uh i do like storm and her mohawk has never looked cooler yeah i thought those two mohawk the, storm the is famous. the best yeah, it's really good. I actually was thinking today, looking at it, and I was just like, this is going to go away at some point. She's just going to get her long white hair again, and that makes me bummed. I'm going to cry like Kitty Pride when she gets her hair back. That's fair. I, I would. Oh, speaking that. of Kitty Pride, she has a new costume. It's like the fourth new costume for Kitty Pride. It's also completely anonymous looking and totally boring. And it made me think, like, at this point, have they just decided, like, Kitty Pride doesn't get a costume and it's fine? Like, is that the Kitty Pride costume that she just doesn't have one? I mean, it's kind of it's kind of the Janet Van Dyne deal, Wasp, where it's yeah. just like, oh, she's into different costumes, which gives us an excuse to design a lot of costumes, which maybe is good for the artists, and it also gives fans a lot of opportunity to talk about different costumes, which is a thing of fan culture that I've 
literally never understood. Um, not that I can't say like, <laughs> oh, I like a costume, but it's weird to me. I, I Somebody on Comic Book Herald recently, and this could be somebody in the club, so hey, what's up? Um, they wrote like, hey, do you know when Captain Marvel gets her new costume? You know, um, it's talking about like the, like a very specific moment. Like, hey, when does the Captain Marvel black and yellow costume come back or something like mm-hmm. that? And I'm like, I don't, I do not track costumes. I will tell you that. <laughs> it is not something I'm interested in doing. It is not something I will ever be interested in doing. Um, I have things I like, but like tracking a costume is just, it's beyond me. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, sure. I can have opinions about the costumes, but it's kind of. But they're it's all. Tri- it's trivia. Yeah. Irrelevant. Uh, speaking of irrelevant, um, I don't have a good segue there. Uh, we're reading the new mutants next. Elephant joke, yeah. Yeah, no, elephants don't work. Being irrelevant mm-hmm. doesn't work because these are super relevant and they're super important. And I don't think mm-hmm. there are any elephants. Uh, new mutants twenty six twenty eight. Uh, this is uh, the introduction of our boy David Holler, aka FX's Legion. We got Chris yeah. Claremont, Bill Sienkiewicz on pencils and inks. These comics are awesome, as you would expect from the Claremont Sienkiewicz era. Uh, I love these. I particularly like the way that uh, Professor X doesn't know he has a boy uh, and is shocked to find that, guess what? He's a bad dad. <laughs> He's an absent <laughs> father. Who, um, me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A bad father? Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, these are awesome. I love these issues. Yeah, I, um, yeah I'm with you. I think uh, I think these are pretty good. I I mean I have the same issues. I think they're a little dense. I think this could be stretched out and be a little more successful for me. But I think overall, I generally really like this. Sinkevitz didn't have as many like wow knock me on my ass moments as he did with the Demon Bear Saga. There was like yeah. there wasn't any of those just like. But I think consistently, like it's pretty good, and like this is all really solid work. I mean, I love one of my favorite details is just Warlock. The way he designs Warlock, in the way that Sinkevitz has integrated his like absolutely wild character design into the Marvel universe in ways that stick. Like Legion is such a weird looking character, and Warlock is such a weird looking character. But mm-hmm. you know, Bill Sinkevitz leaves Marvel, and you have these weird looking characters, and people just have to like stick with it. And I love that like their designs have stayed throughout. Like I feel like Arthur Warlock Adams? in particular, like if you're an artist coming onto the scene and you get the shot at warlock it's like oh cool i get to put my stamp on this but then like by your sixth issue of it you just have to be like oh go to hell this guy again arthur adams does such a cool warlock i love his take yes on warlock it's really good i love how warlock just looks like this like absolute lunatic just swinging his arms and like his head just flopping around in the background of all these panels like here's the team of like almost photorealistic semi-abstract human people and in the background there's just this like cartoon character right yeah no i mean he looks like he's silly and he's this cartoon character and he's kind of scary and like he just adds this level of absurdity to all the scenes that i really dig and i loved the scene of him going to talk to the blackbird and just being like Thank you for bringing us here. I'll miss you. I'll think about you while we're gone. <laughs> like, I'll bring you a present. Yeah. <laughs> it was really good. I, I think he's a he's a really fun addition to this. And just like a weird addition. He's one of those Claremont things where you're just like, I, I don't know how you make this work. And I don't know how you integrate this in. But it just feels like, oh, okay, this is just part of the mythology now. Right? Like, the same way that And it's King actually Pride a pretty important a shot in the arm for the new mutants. So they aren't yeah. just these young mutants who all kind of are relatively attractive young people. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, and yeah, this yeah. cartoonish alien. Yeah, it's a nice yeah. addition. I, um, so we meet right. here David Haller. He is the son of Gabriel Haller and Professor X. And uh, Legion, he has very tall hair, <laughs> as you were saying. Uh, but he is also uh, an extremely powerful mutant. So, uh, so he... 
throughout this, you know, basically most of the issue ta- or the story takes place inside David Haller's psyche. He's in, he's at Muir Island. He's under the care of Myron McTaggart. Um, he's having kind of these episodes and issues where they call in Professor X and some of the new mutants to help. They wind up in David's psychic landscape where they meet these different variations of his personality. And this is basically how Legion's uh, mutant or David's mutant ability manifests is he different elements of his personality can take over and they might have different power sets and things like that. But for the time being, pretty much everything takes place in his psyche. And there are like two particular um personalities that really stand out in this there's the jack wayne personality who is initially appears to be like you know kind of the rugged john wayne obviously analog um out to help looking to help is the way it appears uh and then there's this spy jamail karami who is another personality that like maybe is causing the harm but then obviously as the story progresses we realize that those roles are not what they seem well it's it's so it's like david was in in the middle of a terrorist attack in Paris, and this, I think, like a bomb went off, and he, or something like that, he lashed out at the, like, the terrorist, this Arab terrorist, which, like, the amount of times that this, these three issues say, the Arab, as a descriptor of this man, uh, boy, does that make me cringe a little bit, that it's just constantly yeah. talking about the Arab, or an Arab, or those Arab features, etc., like... The, the only descriptor they have for this person is the Arab. And it's like, wow, that is very 1985 <laughs> of you. Yes, um, for sure. Yeah. And like the idea that like David just kind of subconsciously with his like big psychic powers lashed out at this person who was physically threatening him and like s- killed him and then subsumed his personality into himself. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. That's a pretty, and then that personality is now like waging war inside his mind against all of his other personalities because they also frame... Not only is David, like, powerful and has this personality he sucked into his own mind, he also is schizophrenic, which, schizophrenic and autistic, neither of which are, you know, like, a split personality thing, so this is, whatever, I mean. Do they actually uh, say both those, uh, They say he's autistic and schizophrenic, yeah, which is, like, that is not a, uh, what's, dissociative identity disorder, I think that's the actual Mm -hmm. phrase for it, um, has nothing to do with it. I think you just got to roll your eyes and move past that. It's the very common, like, schizophrenia means that you have three personalities thing. Um, anyway, I think that's kind of an interesting idea, though. I like the idea of, like, someone who, like, you know, is kind of a psychic vampire and actually, like, pulls in these personalities and then they, you know, like, inhabit the person. I think that's a Yeah, Legion's, Legion's pretty fascinating. Um, yeah. Power set is interesting. His, his absolute challenges of grappling any level of control... Um, and the fact that he's Professor X's son, but Professor X is, like, by in no way a dad to him, you know? Obviously didn't even know about him until this point in time. Uh, all of that makes him, like, this really complicated character who's going to pop in and out of, of X-Men history um, as we move forward. So, uh, yep. you don't—again, it's like you don't come out of this really knowing much of anything about David Haller, aside from, like, what his abilities are, you know? Like, he's yeah. not— person with a personality yet um i mean we see we only see time. him awake and aware a little bit at the end of this and it's interesting because like he starts speaking to xavier like introducing him as like this is your dad and yeah. he does keep like switching back and forth between different personalities um and they hug it's okay sweet oh a, a few moments i like hugs um, are so okay there, hashtag hot take there was there's a really good hug here that actually had me like not quite <laughs> teary-eyed but like a yeah. little like Oh, like like it got me, got me in the heart. Which is that uh, they're in Scotland, and uh, and Rain is there. Who I just love her so much. Um, 
And uh, and she shows up, and Moira is just happy to see Banshee because he got kidnapped, and she's just yeah. like, "My love, you're back!" And like is hugging him, and Rain is just like, "I know it's selfish, but like I wanted some of Moira's attention. I really view her as my mom." And I guess like Moira That's has just adopted mother, her. Right? Is but like th- the fact that Moira is making it explicit, she's just like, "Come here, like I'm your mother. You're my daughter now." And it's not yeah. just like a, the idea of a daughter relationship that Moira is actually like has explicitly adopted her i don't know if like legally but like calls her her daughter and says like i'm your mother you can talk to me is just like that's very sweet and that actually that got me because rain is like a character i really love and i love like all of her struggles and that's a very like sweet solace for her yeah yeah the moira rain relationship is very good um speaking of very good the next two comics are Mm. mega new mutants and x-men in asgard Stories written by Chris Claremont with art by the absolutely incredible Arthur Adams. Oh, so uh, we got good. some inks here by Alan Gordon and Mike Mignola, even a little bit. Letters by Tom Orzakowski. Uh These stories rock. <laughs> they, the first is a New Mutant Special Edition, number mm-hmm. one. So they are this kind of hodgepodge of special edition and an annual telling a story that then resolves uh, or is immediately followed up in uncanny x-men number 200 so in terms of like reading order there's some complexity but new mutant special edition number one is it brings the new mutants to asgard loki's got a scheme and uh it's a it's just like each new mutant gets a different element of asgard so magic is dealing with the enchantress and they're magics are going at each other magic uh iliana rasputin is getting increasingly demonic i think notably so right like her the just, dark side is coming uh, out increasingly just in a bikini which uh she, they are they are at the beach when they're captured so a number she's of them in a bikini in the entire issue which sounds chilly sure she's, once you get to she's asgard like 14 years old and i'm just the whole time i'm like please go, like just stop doing this with teenagers i'm it is such yeah. a clear yeah, line that, in the Yeah, that's sand. a big old Ugh. bold question mark. Um, and, and unfortunately, Warlock's attempt to put uh, the same bikini on his very I muscular male that, body though. did not last <laughs> for the that, remainder of the story. That's really good. Warlock's like, all right, I've got making a body down, like a human-looking body, but I haven't got clothes. And then like it shows him in a pair of like shorts big enough for like 10 men to stand in each leg. And then he switches yeah. into like the little white bikini. Yeah, him trying to figure stuff out is really cute. Um, yeah, no, but oh, you get so, you get each new mutant going through an element of Asgard. It all looks awesome. The biggest takeaway so by far is um is, is Danny Moonstar's journey throughout mm-hmm. Asgard. She uh, finds a, a horse, Brightwind, that has some sort of magical properties and takes a liking to her. And basically, the net of all this is Danny's journey leads her to meet the Valkyries and ultimately become an Asgardian Valkyrie, which is kind yeah, of rad. the coolest thing <laughs> it's very rad yeah yeah um Honestly, and it, like that's the thing that I, stays i could have spent like i literally i this could have been a year of new mutants and i would have been happy with this you mm. know? yeah because honestly it simultaneously the, the is least... very dense because these issues are super long um but it yeah. also yeah it, to that point it's like i don't know it's one massive story is these two issues yeah. i mean really, i also it's did one not care novel. about I did not care about the Enchantress or Loki or the threat. Like, I was just having fun watching the mut- new mutants interact, but I couldn't tell you, like, what they were actually after. Like, all the stuff with Loki made my eyes glaze. Well, Loki's over. primary interest here is, like, kind of that creepy thing we've seen with Doctor Doom before, where it's just like, ah, oh, Storm's a hottie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring her yeah. up to Asgard and yeah. have her as my goddess of thunder. Which, like, Storm as the goddess of thunder is very cool, um, 
Loki and Doom being big old creeps about it is is less so. I, this is the year of like creeps though. There's a lot of creepy stuff that I don't love here. Like we didn't talk about it, but in New Mutants, Xavier meets Gabriel Haller, who we've talked about. Like he rescued her from her coma and was her like psychic therapist, and then had a fair and impregnated her and here he's like feeling bad about like coercing her and talking about like how he invaded her mind and you know this was like an inappropriate relationship he's doing it while she is rubbing his shoulders and also while she's being like i regret nothing charles and it feels like this really weird like well i have to admit i have to acknowledge that it's bad and gross while at the same time giving him the the biggest out and hmm. i that that whole scene really turned me off um also, what turned me off is that eventually they defeat Enchantress, and then Magic, Ileana, gives Enchantress... To, she has, like, an ogre that she stole from, uh... What's his name? Um, Belasco. Bel- She's got Seam, her demon chief. Right, yeah, that guy, who's now, like, you know, in servitude to her. And she summons him and gives him a bound Enchantress and is like, she must no- come to no physical harm but you can use your imagination. And he goes, yum, and then leaves with Enchantress. And it's like, oh, you're talking about rape. Like, I don't, that's just what that is. Like, that's the joke. Oh, and it's so you actually don't interpret nasty. that that way with a demon. Oh, I mean, it's this big gruff guy who's just kind of a like, you well, know, he's, a, he's a big gruff demon. Yeah, it's a big gruff demon. And she says, she said no physical harm can come to her. Yeah, but you can use your imagination. I thought it was just like, and don't then, kill her. Oh, maybe I just no, read he, that wrong. He literally said, yeah, she said, like, no physical harm. Use your imagination. He's holding her in her uh, his arms, and he goes, yum. And then it's like, yeah, mm. I, I don't know. Yeah. At least to no, me, that, that implication bad. is that reads bad. real gross. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the other weird thing with this is karma's back. <laughs> in a oh, yeah. <laughs> the karma saga oh. continues. Is, is What is happening? <laughs> so karma shows up, and she is very, very large, right? She has gained mm-hmm. a lot of weight, or the body she's inhabiting has gained a lot of weight. Uh, this is... Because of the Shadow King, right? The Shadow King, they have a fight. And the Shadow King, you know, Amo Farouk, yeah. And and she gets trapped, essentially, in this body. And then actually what is one of the more, like, it's actually funny how clever it is. Um, But also, like, simultaneously contrived is when the New Mutants get split up in Asgard, Karma gets stranded in a desert island. And she's like, all right, I'm just going to lay down and die because she's super depressed about the state of things. And, she's um, just super depressed that she's obese now. <laughs> That's literally. I mean, to be fair, if you all of a sudden, if you your body transformed that drastically, I think you can be depressed about it. But the yeah, whole thing is just. I, yeah, I, I have no idea how was... to even weigh in on the politics of it. It's just so uh, odd. Don't care to at all. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, she's it, it's understandable in the story why she's depressed. Yeah, yeah, sure. She sees a young person in the desert and decides to uh, to help them because they're being attacked by some beast. And then, basically, long story short. Uh, they traverse the desert for so long that she just loses all the weight. <laughs> it gets back into her regular and body like, that we were familiar with. It's like, damn, girl, you look you look really good coming out of the desert. Forty days yeah. and forty nights in the desert. A lot. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, A lot of people I mean, are into I'm, the diet. I'm glad Karma's back though. Like, I love I love Karma, and uh, I we did we yeah, didn't see her character. die and vanish. So I'm glad that she's back. Um, yeah, this is a lot of fun. I uh, again, I like could have used this a little deep more decompressed but i enjoyed this and that art that art is just so good i art arthur adams does not have a huge comic book career um which is i mean he's fun. a huge name because the things yeah, he I, does do are kind of like out a lot, but he does not do a lot he does not yeah. do as many interiors yeah he's got a strinko-esque i don't know yeah. the exact numbers but it definitely like it's limited, yeah, I'm, I'm looking through like he doesn't stick on. on a run for more than like you know eight issues here or there and that's like 
laptops. Probably because the stuff is so crazy detailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't look like the stuff <laughs> you can pump impossible out. to hit like, these deadlines. Exactly. Um, and then this is followed up in Uncanny X-Men number nine, annual number nine, rather. Uh, mm-hmm. Same story, but this time we bring the X-Men into the fray. Which um, I was less into. To help out but, the new mutants. Yeah. I mean... Uh, it's fine. Honestly, everything we just said is like still applicable except it feels now like there's a uh, story yeah yeah no it is like it's it's one yeah. giant story except now we get a little more focused in terms of like battling loki and escaping asgard again the crucial thing that happens here is uh danny gets to remain a valkyrie and keep brightwind who comes back to um gray malkin with the team i so i love these sun, are these are two really good issues sunspots thing is probably my favorite where he's just like i'm going to party like hell and he just like oh also magma uh magma just like drinks herself silly which is pretty funny but like sunspot yeah no there's actually some fun details here so like magma becomes an elf um sunspot parties hard with uh asgardian women he's like but he also rain falls in love with the wolf oh that is like has to be one of the earliest examples of like furry culture leaking into um into like mainstream stuff period like mainstream pop culture because there's no way to interpret that except like horny for wolves like the, i mean it's a it's the, a love the, story between a girl and a wolf what are you gonna say it, but but he does the like they're in their intermediate forms and it's like yeah it's definitely like they're drawn to be sexy and they're smooching and it is supposed to be like a very sexual scene between two half wolf half people and it's like mm-hmm. this is absolutely awakening for a lot of people no way it was not <laughs> um yeah i love sun sunspots like getting into arm wrestling contests he gets into a thing where uh val valstag valstag or valstag valstag um valhalastag val <laughs> um dares him to like pick him up and eventually he does do it but then he spends the rest of the issue with like a bad back <laughs> yeah pretty great <laughs> really good pretty great yeah it's a lot of fun yeah um so let's uh let's see x-men 200 the trial of magneto yeah, this he's is an put important on, one. He's put on trial by the world. I don't know exactly who, like world government. Yeah, yeah, like, he's held in world court. Uh, you know, the yeah. thing I, I do love about this issue in particular and Claremont's introductions in general is just like the level of specificity with locations, with regions, the places people travel, um, with just the exposition of like, here's where this occurred. Here's the name of the NPR reporter covering this trial like it, there's just a level of detail and granularity that it's it's above and beyond what it needs to be and i quite like it in introducing magneto's trial which is he submitted he surrendered um to authorities and said you know take me away <laughs> and uh mm-hmm. they're gonna hold him accountable for i think in particular the uh the m- missling of that russian sub that yes. tried to blow up his bermuda triangle base the Professor yeah. X and the X Men. Well, Professor X takes city, a, a but, hard yeah. stance here that, like, basically he needs to get a fair trial, but kind of also he should be free. You know, is his takeaway, yeah. which is a little debatable. I mean, they they actually they literally use the uh, the defense of yes, he did bad things in the past, but then he turned into a baby. So really, <laughs> he has been punished by like really yeah. this, he really he died, and then this is his second life. So. Uh, what are you gonna punish a baby? <laughs> yeah. Like, so Gabriel Haller is uh, is his defense attorney here. So kind of bringing everybody into the picture. And I will say, shouts here to Jim Jaspers, the uh, prosecuting attorney. If you uh, have read that Alan Moore, Alan Davis, Captain Britain run I mentioned before, you know about Jim Jaspers. But uh, but Gabriel Haller is defending him. And yeah, it's kind of like, well, he you know it says here he should be sixty, but he looks like he's thirty. Oh oh, must have been a baby. 
are you gonna <laughs> are you gonna incriminate a baby? Yeah, Listen, uh, which did happen back in Defenders. That is that is the thing that we have documented, right? So yeah, I, again, it's it's all kind of goofy. Um, it is interesting. It's a very they take the courtroom proceedings part of it pretty seriously. Magneto is very humble in this apparatus. Although, if you're gonna listen, if you're gonna be tried, don't wear the jumpsuit. Wear mm-hmm. your best purple giant M. Work out <laughs> every day yes. before the trial. Every single day, you work arms. You think you want to do squats? No, do some more curls. That's what Mags does. And he brings his cape. He's looking like a snack. Like a little mag snack. Yeah, well, also, I mean, he's having a love affair with a human in the lost city of Relay right now. I don't understand. <laughs> like, his headquarters for a while, for like years now, have been like a literal like Cthulhu, like Cthulhu's lost city in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Um, and he's there like having a love affair with a human woman who rejects him. Um, yeah, he's turned into a big softy. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. So, Charles sure. Xavier is still dying from the wounds of being mugged, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, he's still like th- this, you know, physical damage. Uh, At one point he has a heart attack and then he uses mind powers to stop having a heart attack. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> but it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. He, yeah, he failed his, uh, his death saving throws three times. Yeah. And, uh, and his girlfriend, Lalandra comes from space to like save him. Because they have a healer on some other... Pl- oh, the healer that saved Colossus in Secret Wars, right? They, like, cut him off there. I think so. They said, like, she healed Colossus from the verge of death, so we'll take you there. Oh, I missed that. Anyway. I wasn't reading closely enough. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, the, we're also ignoring the Fenris twins, which, like, who cares? They're they're twins who get power when they hold hands. <laughs> it's like... Well, so they show boring. up... They show up wanting magneto to get what's coming to him in this case meaning uh he hurt our dad baron von strucker in world war ii in a story we did read with professor x and mags and so they are trying to avenge their father because they're big nazis and they suck um so they show up as the as the actual villains i actually knew about them from the uh ultimate x-men line i remember them in ultimate x-men that's the only context i had for them um anyway they're boring not important um what does feel cool, and I like this moment a lot, is that as Charles Xavier thinks he's dying, him and Magneto get, like, zapped, teleported out of the courthouse, and they're by themselves, and they have this, like, kind of little moment of connection where Xavier, like, he feels like he's about to die, and he's like, Magneto, you take over the X-Men, you need to lead them now. And Magneto is, like, not saying, like, no, I don't want to because I'm evil. He's like, no, I don't think I can take that responsibility. Like, I'm not ready for that responsibility. I'm not, uh, you know, up to it. Or, mm-hmm. like, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve that honor. And Charles is like, you have to, you know, like, and I believe in you. Really good. Really affecting stuff and made me, like, wow, this feels like a really cool switch of the status quo. I hope they explore yes. this for a while. Like, I'm very Scale excited. of 1 to 10, how hard did you think Charles and Eric were going to kiss? No, oh, I didn't. I, I was didn't at a 9. Really. I was at a 9, and I've read it before. <laughs> like, here it comes. Here it comes. Uh, yeah, so this is going to be the Magneto leads the X-Men era, which it, so and really Charles is getting pulled off into space huh? to get healed, um, which is cool. really cool. It's really yeah. interesting. And uh, like I, you said, big status quo shift. It's it's kind of fascinating. I enjoy this era. Yeah, yeah I was hoping I was hoping that it uh, it sticks around. So. I will this, say if again, you're reading along, uh, you're going to get the most of that in the pages of New Mutants. So if you're really into the idea of Headmaster Ooh, Mags, fine. keep reading New Mutants. Yeah. Yeah, I do plan on like trying to pick up some of this Claremont run and fill in the seams. I just do not have the bandwidth for it at the moment. Um, or the love. Or the love of the game. Well, yeah. I mean, that's you true. Love like, if I was absolutely adoring reading this, I would make the time. But I only, you know, pretty much like it. It's pretty good. I mean, 
Here's the thing that I do get is not everybody wants to go read 80s comics. Like, it's it's 35 years ago. It's yeah. fine if they feel denser and longer than you're really looking for. I you mean, know? I, I would read like them for the moments, like the individual moments of creativity, which he has. Yeah. Like, great moments of, like, wow, what a cool addition. And he does have, like, some incredible character moments that feel really true and really, like, mm-hmm. specific and interesting to those characters. Like, the Kitty Pride, you know, like, just hearing about Rachel saying, like, my people were wiped out by genocide. And she's like, <laughs> I don't want to wear glasses. I'll be a nerd. Like, yeah, that's so good. Um, Yeah, no, he has a ton of that. It's great. And that that is why I would read it as opposed to, like, Frank Miller's Daredevil, which I just read to have fun. You know, and also build out that world and have all those cool moments and stuff. But, like, I read through that whole run because, like, I was just having a good time reading a tissue. I I would say definitely doing the Claremont era the first time I had the same experience of fun. I mean, I was definitely, I just wanted to read these. I wanted to know everything that had happened to the X-Men during this incredible era and the stories were good to boot. Um, I have less of that now because I've already done it. But for those of you who are doing it for the first time or who are going back after a long time, I would imagine many people are having that same experience. So if you like yeah. X-Men, write to us yeah. at My Marvel this year. This year's poll is, do you like X-Men? Agree with Dave? Yes. Agree with Zach? No. Hard no. Right? <laughs> do you personally <laughs> hate the man Chris Claremont? That's our next I poll. I mean, I thought you were hard on saying. RT. I thought you were hard on poor Roy I Thomas. Feel, I, but. I always feel really guilty about that. I hope it never sounded like... Roy Thomas seems like a very sweet man. I actually have like I have a, a low level of discomfort with the fact that the um, the Marvel writers from this era that I stand the hardest are the ones that are like the people that I personally think are kind of creeps, like Miller and Byrne. Yeah, I mean, I think to Chris like, Claremont's credit, all indications are he's just kind of cranky at this point. Yeah, um, okay. he's just kind of a grump but things there there has not yet been the oh here's why he's terrible story he's which milk, isn't to say it up. won't come yeah. because that seems to be happening for uh Ooh, for this so is many the, people this which is the sucks. week of that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping uh because i mean my boy george perez at this era by all indications he is just a big old sweetie pie that's what i've heard from he's got a good reputation like, as well so speaking of good reputations uh, if you'd like to leave us some feedback you can do so <laughs> at iTunes for my Marvel this year uh, to help boost our reputation or my ultimate year. Again, I'm Dave. You can find my work at comicbookherald.com. He's Zach. You can find him online at my Marvel this year. Uh, and uh, music for the show is by Disasterpiece. X-Men comics uh, are written by Chris Claremont, and they are always good. So don't know what else you might have heard on this episode that would lead you to believe <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> and absolutely uh, what else do you want to share? Uncritically perfect. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are we reading next, Dave? What's what's coming? Oh for the boy! Last part speaking. Of oh no! Speaking of I was, uncritically I perfect. I didn't know. I wasn't setting you up for this. I really was curious. Yeah. What's, uh, next, what's next next week? week we will be reading 1985 Part Four, aka All of Secret Wars Two. At least it's only nine issues. So if you At thought least. Zach was too grumpy this week, <laughs> I you know what? Like, just wait until I, we it's probably back. not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. Why? Because like, you're not going to read it. No, no, no. I haven't finished the sentence. It's oh. probably not going to have him, but I kind of would love if I read this and I was just like, each issue, I was like, wait a minute. This is pretty good. <laughs> this is pretty good. What? I don't understand what all the hate is. Like, if I came and, like, I genuine, because, I mean, I, I don't come in with opinions to be contrary and to, you know, give hot takes just for the heck of it. Like, these are my yeah. real opinions. But, like, if that was really my opinion of just like, no, I'm sorry, but, like, Secret Wars 2, this is a masterpiece. 
Yeah. I'm kind of, I don't think it's going to be like that. There are, I will say, there are some moments in this event that are truly some of my favorite moments in Marvel. I've heard that, yeah. That's kind of how Dazzler, the the movie started out for me, where I was like, I don't know, this is pretty good. Oh, this is pretty, this is pretty good. What's the, what's all the hub? Now now you're talking about the cover? You're talking, (laughs) before you turn to the The credits? The cover and like the first six pages, maybe. (laughs) No, that's (laughs) Where I was like, yeah, pretty good, and then. You know, and then he peed all over my face, Jim Shooter. <laughs> just piss, piss started f- flying out. Like as I turned the page, it just started leaking out of the comic all over my face. I I don't know why they put that feature in the book. That did that <laughs> <laughs> seemed really rude and kind of insulting thing to pay for. Although again, you know, somebody's looking no king, for that. No king shaming on my marvelous. No, no. If you want Jim shaming. Shooter to pee all over your face, <laughs> listen. You do you. All right. Thanks, everybody. You do you, and we will see you next year. See you next year. Uh